Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrive, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. This guy's singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that everything in your company leads to customer value, and you should either point everybody in your company at the customer or point them at the door. Today, I am thrilled to have Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of WD40. Gary, welcome. Hey, Mark. It's great to be with you. Well, WD40 is a brand that you better know uh, it's uh, knowing the brand WD40 is part of cultural literacy in in the world. And, but uh, you, in your tenure as the CEO, have uh, turned it into something really special. And uh, I love what you stand for, what you've helped the tribe at WD40 stand for, which is uh, creating positive, lasting memories. Tell us a little bit about. Uh, the origin of that and and getting and we'll, we'll talk about the tribe. Let's just talk about the origin of uh, build of organizing around those lasting memories. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that became clear to me early on is, and this was back when I was working for the company, even in Australia, is you mentioned WD forty, and literally the first thing that came out of people's mouths were, "I remember when." I remember when it made me a hero. I remember when it solved the problem. I remember when it saved me money. I remember when I was working with my grandfather on a car with it. And I remember when my dad helped me, you know, fix my bike. So, you know, what was very clear to us is the product was creating positive, lasting memories. And we said, well, we want to do more of that. So our, our um, you know, we said that we exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes, and workshops around the world. We solve problems and we create opportunities. And to be honest with you, Mark, that's much, much more exciting than saying I sell oil in a can. I prefer to create memories than sell oil in a can. And and I'm sure that everybody in the company probably feels the same way. Oil in the can has only so much um, cachet. Um, yeah, I yeah. I see on on your website you're talking you have a whole section that helps people talk about stories and and my own story is already captured there. We uh, when my kids were young we bought a new house and we bought the house that my wife had lusted after for ten years and the only way we could buy it is if we agreed uh, with the current owners that they weren't going to clean up very well after they moved out and so we moved into a home with crayon marks everywhere. Uh, so on move-in day, we broke out the can of WD-40 and, and a cloth, and man, did that stuff come up real quick. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, in the year 2000, which seems so long ago now, um, we ran a consumer contest where we asked people to tell us their um, most favorite use for WD-40. And, you know, Back then, the internet and social media was nowhere near as, you know, as, as big as it is now. But we got 
uh, over 200,000 entries just in the United States of people telling us about their favourite use of WD-40. And now we actually have a list on our website of the 2,000 uses that people have told us. We didn't make them up. These are what end users told us about how to use WD-40. Yeah. Um, and those are great things to build a company around it. And you call your culture a tribe. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. One of the biggest desires we have as human, human beings is to belong. And unfortunately, most organizations create a toxic culture where people don't feel they belong. In fact, you know, if you think about times that we've gone through in COVID, your separation has been hard for a lot of people. So, and Maslow's hierarchy to self-actualization, you know, the first two rungs of that, that diagram are, am I safe and can I survive? And the third one is belonging or love. So we thought about that and we said, well, you know, Sebastian Junger wrote a great book called Tribes, and he kind of describes it as a group of people who, who come together to protect and feed each other. And we kind of like that. So I then did some study of the Indigenous Australians and the Fijian Islanders to determine what were the, the attributes that, that lived in, amongst tribes uh, over thousands of years that kept them together. And there were a number of them. The, the number one attribute was a tribal leader is a learner and a teacher. So we believe that the number one responsibility of a leader at WD40 Company is to create a place where we come together to protect and feed each other and that the leader is a learner and a teacher. In fact, we call our managers coaches. We don't have the, the, um, the title manager in the company. We're all a coach because a coach's job is not to run on the field and play the game. It's to spend time in the locker room and on the sideline to help the players play better. So that's kind of a, a long explanation, but I, I need to share with you those elements that really do. It's not just the word tribe. It's what it means to us. Yeah. You know, um, in a lot of companies uh, that are siloed, uh, silo, each silo becomes its own tribe. And there's a lot of we and they uh, mm -hmm. in internecine warfare, like uh, range wars inside your company. And so uh, there are tribes in every company, but um, some of them put the fun in dysfunctional. And so tell us, uh, tell us how you um, try to create the, the functional tribe rather than, and break down the dysfunctional departmental tribes. Well, it's, again, we, we all go back to what is our tribal promise, which is a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. We're one tribe uh, all together is what it's about. You know, we are fortunate enough to, you know, we sell our product in 176 countries around the world. We have offices in about 15. And uh, we call ourselves, you know, one company, one tribe. So as leaders, we work for collaboration, not for separation. Um, and we listen to each other. You know, we, we do, we've been doing employee opinion surveys since the year 2000. We have a 93% engagement factor, which if you know most companies in the last, in fact, the AD, ADP research just did some global work around COVID. They said most, most people, in fact, 84% of people are disengaged. So, you know, we, we listen to our people. We promote it all the time. And um, people love to say they're part of our tribe. 
Yeah. Uh, so we're living in times of uh, something that a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, the great resignation and uh, um, people, organizations are having trouble keeping people, much less their best people. Uh, is that something that you're running up against? Do you, th do you think you're doing better or than, than most? Yeah, we're doing much better. And I wouldn't call it the great resignation. I would call it the great escape because people are taking the opportunity to say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm gonna go and work at a place where I actually do get treated with respect and dignity, where I do belong, where I am given, where there is a true purpose. You know, I often say, Mark, imagine a place where you go to work every day, you make a contribution to something bigger than yourself. You learn something new, you're protected and set free by a compelling set of values and you go home happy. Happy people create happy families and happy families create a happy world. So I would call it the great escape. People are just saying, I've had it. I'm not going to work for these toxic cultures anymore. I'm going to go and find a place that really appreciates me. You know, I'm, I, I'm going, I've been going on a rant lately that doesn't apply to you. And I, I'm, I'm going to let you listen in while I rant at my listeners. And all right. Um, so many times I hear grumpy old men like get it, Mr. Get off my lawn saying these kids today don't want to work anymore. Uh, and to which my reply is maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's they don't want to work for a guy like you at a company like yours. And a, a little bit of honesty about the, the demographic reality here in, in North America Um Birth rates have been declining for decades. The baby boom is either retired or thinking about it. And jobs have been growing for decades. So for the first time in well over a century, except for maybe five years in World War II, um, we're now in a seller's market for labor. People get to choose whether, where, and how they want to work. And the centuries-old paradigm of here's the job, here's the job description, do it or walk, is uh, the, the market dynamic is changing. Absolutely. I created a, a, a person called Al, the soul-sucking CEO. And Al has attributes that, are, that really describe that grumpy old man or grumpy old woman, whichever you want to talk about. But, you know, as far as Al's concerned, it's all about me, me, me. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. He's always right. He's a micromanager. He loves to rule with fear. You know, all these things that people aren't going to put up with anymore, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's, it's our job to create a place where people actually enjoy what they're doing. In our employee opinion survey, Mark, 98% of our people globally say they love to tell people they work at WD-40 company not like, and 96% of people say they respect their coach who is actually their boss or their manager. We're very proud of that. That's why we have, you know, there's two things you need or three things that are really important in business. Number one, you have to have a sound strategy, no doubt. Number two, you have to be bold executors. But the third one, and this is where a lot of leaders miss out, is if you don't have a high will of the people, you can have the best strategy in the world, and if you're not getting a high will of the people, you won't get bold execution. And will of the people is employee engagement, that people actually enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think there's a fourth one. Uh, mm -hmm. I, In my book, I talk about 
connecting everybody in the company, connecting their role to the value you produce in the mind of your customer. And you've got this really clear idea of value you produce, and that is those positive lasting stories. That is in your vision, your mission, that is at the core of your company. And one of your values, uh, I'm gonna read it off your website, is we, we get our shoes dirty. We are relentless about understanding our business and our role in impacting it. You've defined your business as creating ultimate memories and you put at the center of, of your values, connecting everybody's role to those values. Everybody, when everybody understands how their job connects with that customer, that customer outcome, uh, that's when you really have magic. And uh, you've done it implicitly and you've, uh, you've done it purposefully but I think that is one of the fourth pillars. That is a fourth pillar of the magic of WD-40. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, and I don't disagree. You know, profit is the applause of people doing good work. That's what it is. And, you know, if you take care of your people or you're connected to your people, they certainly will take care of your customers and your customers will take care of whoever you need, your shareholders or your owners. So, um I think you, it's absolutely right. We, we have a, we're a purpose-driven organization. You know, we say that, you know, our values are hierarchical. Um, the number one value is more powerful than the number two or three. But as you know, our second value in the company is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. And we use that value so much when we're thinking about connecting with our customers. You know, when we're, when we're, uh, designing new delivery systems, when we're looking at new products, the first question we ask is, help us understand what positive lasting memory this will create. Because if we can't identify that, then we're not going to do it. That's brilliant. You know, so many leadership books and leadership texts talk about how to lead, right? Creating a uh, a unified direction and, and the, the mechanics of how to be a great leader. And I want to focus people in, in my life, in my career, I want to focus them on where. How is important. You can't do how without where, but you've got to have a great where. You've got to have a great what toward. And that what toward uh, positive lasting memories is, I think that's, it. to create a, a unified vision for everybody in your team is a good thing. But when it's, towards your customers and that positive lasting memory, that closes an awful lot of loops in the how, mm -hmm. between the how and the where. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's great. You know, the other thing that, that, that having values that are hierarchical, that, that, that cut across not only the customer, the company, but the individual, is how you can use it as coaching as a leader. And I'll give you an example of that if you'd like to hear it. Um, yes, please. You know, again, I'm going to use the positive lasting memory example. So some time ago, I was in a meeting at our offices and it was earlier in the morning and, and there was someone in the room, one of our leaders, who was not creating positive lasting memories. They had a bad morning. You know, we've all had bad mornings from time to time. And what we really should do is leave that at the front door before we come into the... And it was very unusual for this person. So, you know, option A for a leader is when that meeting's over, you call the person aside and kind of, you know, drill them out and tell them how they misbehave. Option B, which we use, is we use our values. So the meeting's over and I'm walking out with the person. I said, hey, Mark, let's go for a walk. So we walk out of the, the, 
the building and I look behind a truck and I look in a trash can and behind a tree and Mark says, what the hell are you doing? I said, I'm looking for you, Mark. He said, what do you mean? I said, the Mark that I know and love was not in that room today creating positive, lasting memories. What's on your mind? Are you okay? And we had a conversation about, you know, and he said, yeah, I know I had a bad wound. You know, so we did some coaching and after that he went back inside or she went back inside and went to a couple of the people that were in the meeting and said, hey, sorry, you know, that's not me. I didn't mean to be that person this morning. And they kind of you know, made up. The next day I noticed some of the people that were interacting with him the day before were going to him and saying, Mark, are you okay today, mate? Can I, is there anything I can do for you? So there's using the positive lasting memories value to bring our behavior to act in line with what we need to do. Uh, what a powerful question. I, I've used that question. I used that question once with a grumpy um, customs agent. Uh, are you okay? Um, he was he was escalating needlessly. He had, he had made a gesture that I misinterpreted as go to the next desk, but it was really uh, put your ID on this glass reader. And he lost his temperature when I started walking away toward him towards the other downstream desk. And um, I asked him, are you okay? And he started out with, yeah, are you? But he immediately, um, I think that question, are you okay, puts you in and puts the conversation in the, in the correct context. Uh, what a brilliant tool that question is. Absolutely. A good friend of mine, Michael Bungay Stainer, wrote a book. He's an Aussie as well called The, the Coaching Habit. And the first two questions in the book are, in coaching, what's on your mind? And the second question is, and what else? Yeah. And what, you know, what, and are you okay? You know, it's, yeah. it's just, and we shouldn't be asking, are you okay more and more today? Because there's, you know, during COVID, humans have been going through their own personal hero's journey. The person that we said, I'll see you Monday morning to back in March 2020 is not the same person we're greeting back in our offices today. Their life has been on a journey and we haven't had the opportunity to have those touch points to keep up with them. And, you know, we should be asking, are you okay? Um, more than ever before. Super important, which kind of leads me to a, a, a line of questioning that I have been having, you know, I've been having a discussion with people um, about what does the new workplace look like, uh, this new hybrid workplace? And um, I would love to hear kind of your perspective, maybe not universally, but how you're doing it with your tribe at WD40 and uh, how are you balancing people's newfound love for being able to be productive, uh, uninterrupted at home, and to be social with each other uh, at other times? Yeah, I think, you know, I would never want to go through COVID again. But on the other hand, I'm so glad we did because I think it taught us a lot of lessons. Um, and, you know, we've been a fairly well-dispersed organization for a long time. You know, you know, we we have offices all around the world, so we don't get to see each other as much, but then we do have hubs. So when well, I think a few things happen. Number one is going through COVID, it really did reassure us that we could trust people to work from anywhere. So what we said is we're not going to call this a work from home policy. We're going to have a work from where philosophy. And we're going to have people use our values to, to determine when they should be in a group meeting, 
in an office and when they should be working from somewhere else. So, for example, let's use the second value again. Let's say that uh, we're having a, a meeting where the, the desired outcome needs a lot of energy in a meeting. And, you know, that would be a strategy meeting or some sort of heavy brainstorming. You would ask yourself, is, is doing the right thing our number one value and creating positive, lasting memories? Can I do that by being virtual in this type of meeting that needs to be full of energy? And the answer is no. Okay, so I've got to go. I need to be in the office. But on the other hand, if I'm doing something that you know doesn't need that level of energy, can I do it virtually? Absolutely. So I thought it was interesting that a lot of companies declared what they were going to be early. We're going to always work from home. Oh, we're all, they're all, I don't think we're ready to declare yet. I think we're still in the learning stage. But what we wanted to do was put a philosophy around it that helped people make their own decisions. I don't want people wasting their time having to quack up to some manager to plead their case that they want to work from home. We've got better things to do than that. Make your own decision. You're, you're, you're an adult. We trust you. But here's a way you can make use our values to help make that decision. Um, brilliant. Using your values as guardrails um, of, for trusted people, for yeah. people that you trust. Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, really, it's really refreshing. So I had another question, uh, kind of a mechanical sales and marketing question, but it also has to do with kind of your values. You, you go to market through an astounding number of channels. 62 identified trade channels. And those channels are at, have an effect on the positive lasting memories that end users and customers create. How do you... and, and and channels are notorious for being challenging uh, in terms of getting mindshare and getting the appropriate attention and getting uh, uh, somebody with their own agenda to uh, behave in a way that's congruent with you and your values. Tell us, is there something that you do that, that tries to manage that challenge? You know, if I understand the question correctly, my answer would be, um, we're efficient at doing that and can do it because we never positioned the product. And what do I mean by that? Is WD-40 an automotive product? Yes. Is it a hardware product? Yes. Is it a sporting goods product? Yes. Is it a marine product? Yes. Can you use it at home? Yes. Can you use it in a factory? Yes. Can you use it in a workshop? Yes. Do we say lubricant on the can? No. Um, so, you know, we've never positioned ourselves, which gives us permission to go anywhere we want to go. You know, if we were saying WD-40 is an automotive lubricant, we wouldn't have permission to sell it in the hardware department of a, a Walmart or whatever. So our unpositioning positioning gave us permission to be able to be this ubiquitous thing that can go anywhere we want to go. And do your channels, do your retailers, uh, how much do they participate in uh, do you do you enlist their support or do you just uh, enlist th their shelf space? What, you know, what is the relationship that your channel has in creating those positive lasting memories? Well, it, two ways. If, if, to create a positive lasting memory, one, you have to be aware of the product. And two, it has to be easy to buy. 
So by having all of these different trade channels, we're making a lot of end users aware. So make the end user aware and make it easy to buy. So if you were to go into a Walmart, for example, we're in four or five different departments in Walmart, which is very unusual because, you know, we're in the hardware department, the automotive department, we're in the sporting goods department with our bike product, you know, we're in the, uh, the clip strip department. So, you know, we just want to be available to people wherever they shop. Brilliant. And then that to close the loop with that, now you've created um, the 2,000 uses of WD-40 products on your website. Um, how do you close the loop? Is, is there a community of people who are um, active engagers in your website so that you stay close to how they're using it and the memories they're creating? Yeah, so before social media was really popular, we actually had the WD-40 fan club. And we had, you know, over a couple of hundred thousand members of the fan club that used to, they loved to tell their stories. Now, you know, we disbanded the fan club eventually because social media became the big fan club. Yeah. And, you know, I, you can go and search us anywhere and, you know, you'll find whether it's on Twitter or, you know, YouTube or whatever, you know, you've got people out there telling their story about this is how I used it, this is how it solved my problem. It's a great brand for storytelling. Um, and people love telling this because it's making them a hero. You know, they're, they're able to say, I'm smarter and did something that I didn't think I could do in this little blue and yellow can with a little red top helped me do it. Uh Brilliant. And I, I almost envision uh, movie placements as an important part. But man, um, WD-40 is almost so ubiquitous that the typical four fee placement, it, it can be a lot more um, intrinsic to a story than so many product placements. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I was I was watching some reruns of The Big Bang Theory the other day and there in one of the you know, the workshops as a candidate. Now, we didn't place it there, but if it's not WD-40, what would you put there? Exactly. Um, exactly. And especially with the visual trade dress that you have, that blue can with yellow top and the red lid, um, a viewer can be on a low-resolution TV and still know exactly what that is. You know, I don't, trade you don't have to be able to read the W, the D, or the 40. No, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, some of the research we've done, um, we are as recognisable as, you know, the Coke bottle. Um, you know, you can put a blue and yellow can with nothing written on it, with a little red top on it and in front of someone. And in most, in a lot of countries around the world, they say that's WD-40. Uh, and that was, that's deliberate because, you know, we didn't get tempted to refresh our trade dress every second year you know, it's hard enough to get people to know you. Why do you want to change what you look like and have to tell them again? Yeah, so it's uh, that so many times those are exercises of ego for marketing or CEOs to change the trade dress. You know, we changed it on my watch. And now even when you've left the company, it's, it's an exercise in ego, not an exercise in customer centricity. Absolutely. Well, Gary, what else do people need to know about you or your company uh, before we before we sign it off? Well, you know, I guess uh, not much you need to know about me, but the company, you know, again, is 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 really a place where 
we want people to come to work every day and do great work and help develop themselves and and become better leaders because we need better leaders in the world. So um, I think that's really important. And uh, I think that's a great uh, benediction to send off with everybody listening. Uh, It is not about what you sell. It's about how you lead and uh, what memories you create and what outcomes you create for your customers. Yeah, life's a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. Yeah, there you go. Well, Gary, thanks so much for investing some time with us today. And and thanks for sharing your wisdom. Ah, You're very welcome. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that your value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that business, sales, and marketing is a lot more like brain surgery than you may have thought. Thanks, and have a high-value day. Well, it ain't easy, because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, because you'll be singing those old, don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.